0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, coming to you from Girdwood, Alaska, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, including the Blister Summit videos that we have been dropping on the website and on our YouTube channel And you should definitely be checking out those Blister Summit videos because we have already published a number of very, very good ones. But right now, our business is powder skis because we've been doing a bunch of powder skiing with our reviewer and my good friend, Paul Forward, right here on his home turf in Girdwood, Alaska. We've been skiing Alieska Resort. We've been snowcat skiing with Chugach Powder Guides, and we've even been in the heli. So we thought this would be a very appropriate time to sit down with Paul and discuss some of the different skis that we've been skiing on this trip, and also to talk a bit about some skis that are kind of in the works, some new designs, and also a proud moment for me I got Paul excited about a new description of a snow type. For the first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be introduced to creme brulee crust. So you heard it here first, I think, I don't know, actually write us if you think you came up with that term before me, but yeah, we're talking powder skiing and creme brulee crusts here on Gear 30. Now, just before we get started, I want to tell you once again about our Blister Plus Spot membership, where you get access to $25,000 of injury insurance, and that's not over a 12-month period, that is per injury, and as I've been with our group this week, there's one point of this insurance that I don't think we've talked about enough, and that is that Emergency transportation is also covered with your Blister Plus Spot membership. So whether you need to be helicoptered out of the backcountry, whether you need to get into an ambulance to be taken to an emergency room, part of what you are covered for is the transportation costs up to $25,000 per incident. And that fact right there was enough to get one of the people in our group Shout out to Josh to sign up for this Blister Plus Spot membership right on the spot. And so congrats, Josh. You're covered. And at the end of this conversation in our crashes and close calls segment, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Riley, who is on this trip. And I don't think he has Blister Plus Spot yet, but my God, this dude needs it. So stay tuned for my Riley story, aka The Missile. That will be after my conversation here with Paul Forward. And speaking of Paul, let's talk to him now. Here we go. All right. Well, I'm here with Paul Forward, actually in our hotel room. Not the first time. I've ever recorded a podcast in a hotel room, so uh, we don't have a first there, but it is the first time that you and I have ever recorded a podcast in person in the great state of Alaska after a day of heli-skiing in Alaska, so we have a couple firsts. Heck yeah, it's awesome, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) <laughs> you sound like it. <laughs> Actually you just sound tired which you, you deserve to sound tired. Um you've been working hard this week. We've we've uh, we have not made it easy. Well, I'd like to think our group hasn't been that difficult. Actually the weather is the culprit.
1: Yeah, the group's awesome. I'm not just saying that that you guys are really fun to ski with. It's a super cool crew. Everybody's got a great attitude and everybody's um doing an awesome job. The uh this has been the toughest weather week of my whole season as far as just having a really hard time being able to get out and go skiing. I think we've launched the helicopter three days. I think we got one like full ish day of heli skiing yesterday. Today we got three or four runs. The other day we got one before we got chased out. And um, yeah, it's, it's this is I haven't had a week like this the whole season. Um, usually, you know, if people book a seven day trip, we get out five or six days. It's
0: been hard. And say more, it's been hard in part because it's kind of been snowing over big portion of the state pretty much all of South Central
1: Alaska has been in these like storm clouds and this week so that's been uh, you know usually with a private charter like you guys have especially there's some flexibility to to go you know way up north or way down south or out to the east um when the when the weather's bad and it's been just pretty tough to go anywhere luckily We got Mm -hmm. LA Resort. Yeah. We had a really good pow Day, your day one of your trip. Yeah. That was actually super fun. Yeah. It was a really fun LA day. Everybody was skiing fast and hard and jumping off stuff. And I think you all got to see how amazing the North Face is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we couldn't actually see the
0: North Face, but we got to ski the North Face. Got to
1: experience how awesome the North Face is. I mean, being able to ski like 2,000 to 2,500 feet of like pretty steep, consistent fall line with like, you know, fully off-piece terrain is
0: pretty cool especially when it's pounding snow (laughs) i keep i keep saying this but like i truly had no idea what the pitch was on the north face because we couldn't see it it was pretty socked in incredibly good snow but you know you're kind of on something and you sort of make a left turn or a little bit of a little bit of an airplane turn and then i would just kind of i was like oh i just dropped like 4 feet yeah steep <laughs> and, and, and really today was the first day we could kind of see it yeah. It's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense
1: now. It's steep up there. I mean, like when it's hard snow, like it's like slide for life. Like if you fall, you'll go to the bottom. <laughs> but the snow is hard. It's a steep mountain and it's like, it's, you know, big, wide open face with all kinds of features. It's super fun. It's my favorite inbound skiing in North America. Hmm. Hands down. I freaking love it. And you guys got to see it on a pretty cool day, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, that's actually been, I know this is something that you have talked about quite a bit with cpg and the setup but one of the things i think you feel a little bad that we haven't like had longer fly days but from my point of view we've actually had a chance to sample all the offerings so day one really fun inbound stay at alieska i i've never been here before so i was stoked to get in the resort then we've done a few days of cat skiing and got to see that side of the operation. And then we've had a bit of time in the heli. So for me, just kind of seeing what y'all have to offer, this part's actually been pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, that, that part worked out. I mean, that's our thing at CPG, right? You ski every day. If you want to ski, you can ski every day, pretty much no matter what. And so, yeah, you got to sample the cat skiing when it was in really good shape. Like yeah. We had that first day was like Japan powder yes, in the cat was. area. And then you guys got two more days of um, really good cat skiing and that's also cool like the f- first day of cat skiing you just cat skied all day the second day we tried to heli ski first then we landed in the snowcat area and we did seven cat runs
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the- then yesterday we went in the snowcat first we did two cat runs in powder and then we went and did nine or 10 heli runs we picked you up in the snowcat it's it's very james bond <laughs> but it's really fun and it's it's cool cuz you get to ski chances are if you're here Either it's storming hard and it's snowy and you get skiing powder at the Alaska and the cat area. And then as soon as it gets sunny, we go heli skiing. So yeah. it's,
0: it, I, I love it.
1: <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs>
0: um, I am curious if we think about the quality of snow, because Alaska, maritime snowpack, uh, this is a good topic because we are constantly dealing with questions or people who are like, well, you guys aren't on the East coast. So East coast snow is like this, or mm. people who are like, you guys live in Colorado where they think <laughs> it's always powder. <laughs> and then I come out here thinking, okay, maritime snowpack, it's going to be denser, wetter snow. How uncommon was the snow that one, like our first runs of this morning, Mm -hmm. but then also, like, a couple days on the cat, I was like, this is dry, light, not what I would call maritime (laughs) snow. How common or uncommon do you hit that?
1: Oh, I'd say, like, that the really dry, cold pow is, like, a little uncommon for this time of year, for, for like, mid-April, but that's, like, not unusual at all for, like, Jan, Feb, even into March, like, to have storms that are cold like that, and, um, yeah, it's, like, not that not that big a deal mm-hmm. um you know a lot of our storms do come in warmer than that and you know i in some ways prefer that right like that day at aliaska that first day was super fun but like we could feel the floor the whole you could yep. most of that day we could feel the bottom yep. the, the old hard snow if that same amount of water equivalent had fallen you know a little warmer it would have been spongy and you wouldn't have felt the floor. It would have felt just like pow. And that's one of the magic things about this this place and this powder skiing we have here is like, it's like spongy and bouncy and smooth, even, you know, after one storm. So, um, the pros and cons, but you know, it's like, it varies. It can, it can be plenty cold here for sure. Hmm. Uh, and then the snow that we skied this morning was like closer to what I think of as like typical Alaskan powder skiing. So and by which I mean, the, the snow we hope for here for heli skiing, especially, is kind of a spongy base, smooth spongy bottom with something like four to eight inches of smooth, like lighter pow on top. And like, like I, I'm notorious for saying like second or third buckle pow is like my favorite, like of your boots of your three four buckle boots. Dan was Dan was talking about it today in the band. but like that's when you can just absolutely feel like a superhero on giant steep faces is when. It's like that, you know, six to 10 inches of like lower density snow on a smooth, spongy base. And then you can ski full speed, uninhibited, big lines. And then it, and as soon as you start getting like we had the other day when it's like, you know, knee deep, yeah. thigh deep. Yeah. You can't ski anything steep. And even as you saw in the cat area, we skied some steeper runs. And, like, the first person takes half the, half the run down with yeah. them when you ski steep stuff like that. So, you want that. that that's, the, that's the magic of the maritime snow is it sticks. And that's why we have all this terrain around here that's, like, 45 degrees that has three meters of snow plastered on it because it comes in like that. And that's why it's so cool here, and in my that, opinion.
0: And, and that is why. <laughs> Well, it's cool being out here, and as we've said now multiple times in various formats, this uh, we've been talking about this trip or just me getting out to Alaska (laughs) since like 2012. And we had remember we had a trip scheduled. I think it was for 2020, and that got knocked off um, because of pandemic stuff. And so here we are. We finally did it. I'm stoked. I'm stoked you guys are here. I hope this is an annual thing. Oh my god. It might be. I mean, and I just was like over this afternoon, like we we had to come in. We had a gorgeous, gorgeous, not full bluebird, but the light was like spectacular this morning. And it was so cool to be out in the mountains. Weather came in, we landed the bird. And then like I walked over. Actually, you drove me over and we went over to Powderhound. And I got to see Amy and actually was supposed to maybe meet up with Eric powder hound in, in a bit um but it's fun to be in a place where i have been talking with right so many different people like in this community and so yeah um if it became an annual thing i can already see like the tractor being pulled of like how that would be possible so
1: yeah it's part of the migration you got to come to alaska in the spring
0: and i definitely <laughs> i definitely also would love to get back out to the one thing I don't think we're going to be doing on this trip is touring. True. And that looking around, it looks like, it looks like there's one or two options. So much ski touring here. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I Maybe mean, come earlier in the year for that. Yeah. Like Feb, Feb, March.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about some gear. Um, we're going to go heavy on the pow ski side of things. Maybe talk about a couple boots, but before we do any of that, you were very adamant that our first day of skiing, which we already said was at Inbounds at Alyeska Resort, you were like, "I want you to get out on the Heritage Labs <laughs> FL113." Talk a little bit about this ski and why you wanted me on it. Totally, um, it's a really unique ski.
1: It's—I uh, don't think there's anything else like it on the market right now. And uh, you know. It's unique in the sense that I think that there are some people that are going to uh, love it and some people that are probably going to feel like it's uh, it's very unusual and not what they're looking for. But uh, it is uh, 194 centimeters. It has a little shy. I think it's a 40, 45.3 stated,
0: 3
1: stated, 3 radius. stated radius. It's 113 underfoot. And our pair for blister weighed right around 2,800 grams. <laughs> you measured this yourself? Yeah, um, on two different scales. Okay. I wasn't sure that it was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only other ski I've ever weighed that was close was the um, the Vocal 3 or Bash 135, and that ski is 135 underfoot.
2: Yeah.
0: And this no. is
1: 113. And this is 113
0: yeah. underfoot, yeah. Heritage Lab's website claims... That the 194 comes in at like 2600 yeah your our pair comes in at like 2800 an honest 2800 Yeah, honest 2800 that is the heaviest ski barring like a kind of race oriented skinnier ski with like a heavy ass race plate on it yeah um this is the heaviest ski we've ever reviewed yeah i think so (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and it's 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 pretty cool i mean it's um it has a recommended mount of around minus eleven, and I've tried it everywhere. Well, I I, I had uh, there was a typo in the initial mounting instruction, so I actually skied my first few runs on it at minus seven, which was pretty wacky for that ski. And then I've skied it back as far as minus twelve, and kind of settled on liking it ten, ten and a half personally. Um, so it's a traditional mount point. It um, has a flat tail, but it has a very low full reverse camber, like it's basically flat. Um, uh, there's no, there's no actual camera in the ski and, uh, it's intimidating to look at, it's intimidating to feel on your feet when you're swinging on the chairlift, it's really heavy. But I think, and you can speak to this, Jonathan, having skied it, but it's like, it's not like a super, it's not a super hard ski to ski. Like no. it doesn't kick your butt. Like no. it's, it's very loose. The tails break free very easily. Um, what it doesn't do is like his car return very well, in my opinion. Mm. And maybe I just haven't figured out how it figure out how to do that but even on like a a nice soft groomer you know even trying to let them run at that radius it, it doesn't for me like lock in very well to a turn but that's not what it's for mm-hmm. it's a good ski for like just smashing through all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and it's really loose and drifty mm-hmm. um, it's really easy to throw it sideways it's more of like a it turns more by rotating and drifting than like bending and carving in my opinion
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i know We were having interesting conversations on the hill because it was a low visibility day. Like I I had no idea what the pitch was on the north face, as I just was saying. And that is a ski where you were like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, when I really was like, I have no idea what's like (sighs) 10 feet or 20 feet below me. Right there's a way you're kind of trying to ski a bit defensively and sort of breaking the ski totally. and man that you feel the weight of that ski when you're doing that and what i kept saying was if i i wish i had visibility today because then i would feel more confident i mean i'm at a brand new ski area i've never totally. been i can't see anything and that is a ski that like if and when you either just have the confidence or the stupidity or the visibility to like let it go in those moments, like when I got against trees and it, like I could see better and you just let it go, I didn't feel the weight. Like I didn't feel the weight. It's not some super cambered ski that you're like can't break out of a turn, something like that. But one of the things you kept saying was that you would break those skis out at Alieska. And on a day where you're like, oh man, the snow's maybe not that great. These skis don't feel that good. You would then swap out for another ski and then be like, oh my God, I now understand how much suspension I was getting out of this Heritage Labs FL 113.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I, the first day I skied them, it was uh, North Face Valley. EsCO was skiing pretty good, and uh, but but pretty bumpy and I like, hadn't snowed a little while. And I started the day on those and... Um, Skied a couple laps, and I was kind of, you know, getting knocked around a little bit. And I was like, oh, no, maybe I'm just not really dialing the ski. So I went and I grabbed out of my car a pair of, um, I had some 188-centimeter Black Crows Corvus, the current model. And um, actually, next year's, I think, the same same ski carryover. And uh, in a 188, so um, the 193 would have been a fair comparison. um, And I wish I had those, actually. But suddenly, I realized like that's like not a ski that's not like a light touring ski or anything it's like a real ski yeah
2: uh,
1: a real inbound ski and uh, i was getting knocked all over the place on the corvus and this i skied like the same run basically nearing the same turns and and i realized that i had been skiing a lot faster than i thought i was on the heritage ski just because it does really like it really mutes out the the bumps yeah yeah i felt it was surprising
0: yeah um just for the record there's no question that for like, if I were to get that ski for Crested Butte, I would be on the 187. Um, yeah. I didn't actually see the big downside. Not like I'm some expert on Alieska Resort now, but on a day where it was pretty tough visibility still, I didn't see the downside of going with that a ski other than what I was talking about on like... If you're not letting it run and trying to kind of break it, like it's just yeah. a, it's a lot of mass. There's, yeah,
1: there's a lot of swing weight there for sure. So yeah, the the 194 for Alyeska, I think for like uh, for a uh, you know guys our size, or uh, I think you're bigger than me, Paul. True. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is big. Long aka Dad Bod, aka Fat Forward. What other names for skis? Well, we.
0: I am. I am We're gonna get to the G wagon, the Folsom G wagon, in a minute. But I I am was very proud that I gave it the alternative name because, as uh, as our most dedicated podcast listeners know, we've talked about how your nickname is Fast Forward. (laughs) i don't when remember we talked about that you said this you i did said, not say that you said you claim this is you're like everybody in girdwood calls no, me fast forward never, ever ever all of that. girdwood listening to this this is, what, this is
2: what this <laughs> is what I claim i have
0: never said that <laughs> the, yeah he claims his nickname was fast forward never said that. or maybe you wished you were named no, that also not true it's probably true also not true. i think this came up maybe in like was it back in when we were in New Zealand at some point? I don't know, but I I've had this in my head because I think it's hilarious the fast forward, and uh, and so thinking about the G wagon, I was like, well, we should call this one the fat forward, and the group has really enjoyed this. And Paul always accuses us of fat shaving him because he's like, especially with his guide pack, he's definitely the heaviest <laughs> reviewer at at blister, and I anyway, plus size. <laughs> anyway the fat forward we have a
1: more body positive conversation
0: yes yeah yeah Um, I mean (laughs) I think last week we were talking about heavy shaming Uh, Luke Kappa and I were on gear 30 talking about it's basically weight shaming so we should neither shame super light skis nor should we shame super heavy skis no weight shaming Okay. except most light skis are still bad (laughs) So aside from that though (laughs) So back to that. Oh yeah. For a, uh,
1: I think for like a, for bigger skiers used to used to longer, heavier skis, the one ninety four will it is not a super demanding ski. The the one thing that took, takes some adjustment on that ski, and I'm still figuring it out. But um, if you're used to using the ability to tip a ski on edge and then have it like carve you out of trouble, um, you're going to have to figure out like a little different weight distribution, mm-hmm. and, and you just don't have with that super long radius and that full rocker, um, there's something about it that for me, like, you know, I'm thinking about a couple moments in particular where I was skiing through some, our version of moguls and I wanted to make a quick turn and I, a turn I've made many, many times before in a place I know super well. And I went to just tip the skis and arc cross and the tail, the skis just kind of washed out on me. And, uh, I think it was, you know, with some practice and getting used to them, I think it'd be fine, but it's, it's not a, a ski that you can necessarily easily carve in and out of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're like rotating, drifting, sliding, skidding.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Also, you don't have moguls here, or at least not the other day. There was not a. There was like, there was a pitch that was about twenty feet long that transitioned <laughs> to a like a catwalk. And I was like, okay, there's like three moguls here. <laughs> I counted three <laughs> after a day of skiing Alaska, and it, it also is a good note you have historically liked longer skis than me. And I'm like, there's nothing to hit here. Yeah. There's nothing to hit here. You could literally ski 220 centimeter skis all the time. (laughs) It's fine here.
1: Yeah. I mean, we do get, we get like our version of moguls that are bigger than they are right now because it's been snowing a lot. Yeah. um, We get, we get moguls in the spring and, and in various points during the winter but it's true. Like, there's never been anything here like the moguls that you guys have every day. To see, like, those never happen here. <laughs> like, the waist high man eaters yeah. are never a
0: thing here. This is why you like coming to CB now. You're like, I, I'm this is it. a different sport. Man, I'm
1: into it. I love it. I think it, it makes, you, I think it makes you a better skier, honestly, skiing that stuff. I think it really does. Like, I, I want to get better at it. I'm not even joking. <laughs> okay. I like it.
2: It's fun.
0: Um, Maybe on our powder ski episode we should stop talking about moguls and um and and actually get into some true powder skis so there was a bit of a controversy that i outed you on also this week when i was telling everybody (laughs) how you wouldn't let me ski the Folsom rapture 192 um that i guess i said also on the last gear 30 with luke kappa and then i got a very funny text from you when you were like, okay, I listened to you and Luke (laughs) and how you told everybody you were only going to let me ski the 192 one day and you said, no, you can ski it as much as you want out here. So, first of all, thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But turns out we've actually been skiing that your your self-proclaimed current favorite ski, that Folsom Rapture 192, We've also been skiing a Folsom Rapture 195, and then a second iteration of a Rapture 195. Now, where are you at having now skied these three different versions in terms of what's your current favorite and why? I think... For, um,
1: first of all, yes, that that 192 Rapture, I think I've had that. I got that in the 2020 season, and it's been my kind of go to heli ski of, since then. It's just a really, really good ski for me. Once I figured out the mount point on it, that ski, it, uh, it carves when I wanted it to, it drifts when I wanted it to, it holds its own and like weird crusts and everything like that. And that ski's just really good. And everybody who's tried them here just loves them. Um, the, Mike brought, Mike McCabe from Folsom brought uh, two pairs of Folsom Rapture 195s. They're pretty similar. Both have the shallow reverse camber. Mm-hmm. Both are 195 centimeters. One just has a deeper rocker profile than the other. And um, Mike and I, we have the same boot sole length, so we were swapping back and forth that day at Alyeska. And he preferred for Alyeska that, that day, he preferred the one with the lower rocker yeah. profile. I immediately clicked with the more rockered one. Even in bounce? Yeah, that ski just felt absolutely dialed for me. Uh, That ski felt just super intuitive, super, um, this isn't the word I use very often to describe skis, but super slippery. Like I could just slip it out super easy, but also like those SRC skis, and they just, they rail too if you want them to. Like they carve remarkably well. And uh, I just had a blast in that ski. And and Mike and I, I've skied that ski in the cat a little bit. I've skied it in the heli a little bit. And um, I think that for me, that hit he- more heavily rockered version is really cool. And the 195, I feel like I basically lost nothing compared mm. to my 192. Um, maybe, <clears throat> maybe like in the chop, in the in this, in the um, you know tougher conditions, firmer snow. Maybe the my 192s that are a little lower rocker will feel a little more like a little more surface contact, a little more edge uh, edge contact, but. Man, that 195 is really good. They're both really good, both pairs. The pair you've been skiing on and the pair I've been skiing on, but uh, I think those skis are really cool.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I first skied your 192s on a cat day. And a couple of my thoughts, you, right when you were, you know, nice enough to let me ski those, so we were, like, adjusting the bindings for my boots, you were like, well, the recommended line is set around maybe minus eight and you are like you want to be forward of the line so i think i think we set mine up about minus six again it was pretty we did some tree skiing but it was still pretty open Mm -hmm. tree skiing and then just truly open faces and I thought that 192 felt super nimble, mm-hmm. but also in some of the pretty deep snow we were getting into, I felt short shoveled. Okay, and so if thinking about you know people who are specifically looking for a ski to shine in like deep snowcat, more traditional snowcat terrain. I was like, I don't know, man, I am kind of tempted to back this up right now. And your point, you were kind of like, well, but wait until we get on to finish the sentence.
1: I'd say two things. First of all, I put your toe back ever so slightly back from where mine is, but your boots are 10 millimeters shorter than mine. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, there's some nuance there, like you may have a little more forward lean in your boots or whatever else, or just your, your body position might be different um so that might account for some of it but um it you know the typical day of uh of skiing up here in the heli you know especially when you're skiing bigger stuff and you're going fast having a ski that feels really balanced and when you and when you throw it sideways it doesn't do anything weird it doesn't feel like the tail or the tip wants to engage more than the other and i found that um on that pair somewhere around like minus six and a half minus seven is really sweet. And I think the newer pairs, um, like Charlie Renfro, our local photographer, um, just took, just got a pair of those from, from Folsom. The new mount point is about basically pretty close to on that, on those top sheets where I ski mine. Um, but, uh, and I think that's where Charlie's gonna put his because he's he's got a twenty-five five boot and he's tried mine all over the place and mm. he likes them about that same place. Mm. And he's been out hilly skiing on those bunch. So mm. it's you know, there's some there's some preference there. But I think if people are listening and they're mounting up a pair of 192s, um, I would say like somewhere around that six and a half seven mark would be pretty ideal, personally. For for this type of skiing. I don't think um they'll be that sad about not having I think the tip's gonna stay up in
2: pal just fine.
0: Okay. And so, what I thought the other day you were drawing this, the distinction between was we were not skiing like super steep lines. Yeah, that's true. And that's what I kind of typically associate with like snow snowcat skiing is lower angle, yeah. often very deep snow. But it sounds like we can just say, yeah, like think minus seven. And yeah. if you're a little bit forward- or somehow a little bit back of that, you're probably in a good spot. But I thought you were specifically saying on steep lines, yeah. that's where you yep. didn't want a bunch sure. of shovel out in front of I
1: you. I just want the tail not to hook, not to engage. And like when I first got him, I mounted him at that, re- at that time recommended. And it was like, it was an incredible carving ski, but it took a lot of effort to break the tails free. And moving them forward a centimeter, centimeter and a half, really loosened up the tails. But I didn't feel like, I, for me, for my style, for my body, I didn't feel like I lost much flotation or much support in the front Mm -hmm. but i was able to break the tails free into big drifted turns much easier
0: but if we were to leave one pair of raptures with you for the next you know that's the only one you got for the next couple of seasons you'd take the new 195 with its rocker profile. I mean, I'd love
1: to spend a couple days like in, you know, a variety of backcountry snow conditions, heli ski conditions yeah. on my ninety twos versus those the one the that more heavily rockered in one ninety fives. But initial impression is I don't think you'd lose much with those one ninety fives and you gain some some uh some driftiness and some float and those keys just felt so dialed to me. Like really, really good. I think I would happily spend the next three heli seasons on those those zebra stripe ones that mike bought or brought
0: (laughs) yeah and i think that's like mike's personal pair personal pair we just
1: happen to have the same bsl
0: yeah yeah so if you like the sound of this call folsom and just say i want the 195 the one that's exactly like mike's personal pair yeah and they'll know what you're talking about pretty dialed um by the way how wide is the rapture 122 122 which gets us into the issue of just width right and you just wrote an article that we published on Blister where basically you said hey people if you're coming out here um i think you meant specifically alaska but you yeah. might propose this for a number of other heli operations go, like don't be afraid to go wide like you, this mentality of like, well, at my home resort, I do fine on a 90 underfoot. Just stop that right now. And you, you wrote a bit about this and that has absolutely been the experience of the group. Our group this week is like, it's kind of impossible to go too wide.
1: Yeah. And this is a crew I would, I would put that, put in there. This is a crew of like really good skiers. Like you guys are all like really strong skiers, with a lot of experience. Um, I think that that proves even more true with people that are less experienced powder skiers, or maybe just don't get as many days on the hill every year. They, the benefits of the wider skis are even more for those folks. Um, but I think all of us benefit from them, from ski guides that are heli skiing 50, 60 days a year or whatever to people that, you know, don't ski pow that much. Um, don't be afraid of the wider skis up here. It's different. Even if. Your 115 underfoot or 118 underfoot skis feel awesome at your home hill, even if your home hill is Alieska. When you get out there, as you experience, it's big terrain, it's deep snow, it's just a lot less work mm-hmm. to have those bigger skis. <clears> and like it is like day in, day out, the whole season, we see it. People come in and they say, Oh, these seem too wide. Give it a try. And they usually say, Oh, I ski 175s. Let me give me the 177s. And we say, I think at your size, you should try the 184s. And then they take the 177s, and the next day they say, "I think I might try something longer." <laughs> yeah, it's just different. Yeah, Tr- trust your guides, trust
0: the company. And so, just to sum this up one more time, it's different precisely how.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of the terrain is is big and 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 open uh, and open and like undulating. You know, there's like rolls and dips and like big steep parts, and um, and the runs are the the you know people out everybody's home hill is whatever is 2000 vertical feet 3000 vertical feet whatever but like most ski areas i've been to in north america anyway it's 3000 feet from the top of the top lift to the parking lot but most of the time the pow shot you're skiing is 400 feet here then you uh-huh. traverse over you ski a 200 foot shot yep. and then you do another traverse you go to the cat track you ski 100 feet then to a 400 foot shot if you're lucky and when you're heli skiing like if it's a 2000 foot run it's a 2000 foot fall line. And I think a lot of people get pretty, pretty tired on those runs. Like, you know, on especially on skinny skis where you're working hard to get the ski up and out of the snow between turns. Whereas those big fat surfy skis, you don't have to do that up and down motion as much the ski just stays on top and you can just surf your way down. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, that's the factor. Yeah, for sure.
0: And there are a number of people in our group. I mean, so this is why... A couple of the skis we've actually been passing around around the group is this G-Wagon, yep. this Folsom G-Wagon, which is 132?
1: I believe so, yeah. Yeah,
0: 132 underfoot. It is a not the widest ski either of us have ever skied, but pretty wide ski. And a, and a number of people in our group are on Folsom Raptures. And yesterday, they were like, I wish I was on a wider ski. Totally. So, that's a ski, again, that's 122 millimeters wide.
1: The Rapture, yes. The Rapture. yeah.
0: And people in our group were like, we wish we were on wider.
1: So, the G-Wagon is 135 hundred foot.
0: It's actually 135. It's actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was on today. And at no point was I like, Ugh, God, I wish I was on something narrower. You're just not, it's just not comparable to inbound skiing. Um, you don't, it's kind of almost impossible to imagine like needing a quote unquote more maneuverable ski in this terrain. Like it's, that's not going to be your issue.
1: And we've been skiing like relatively just because of the nature of all the new snow we've been getting and the avalanche problems, we've been skiing pretty small runs Like we haven't skied big fall line runs. And that's still been the experience of the group for sure. Yes. Yeah. That they w- were happy on the really big skis. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say, like, maneuverability, the more you get into the steeper, more technical terrain, the more, like, you want to be able to not necessarily, like, make really quick turns, but throw them sideways really yeah. easily and feel like they let go and not hold you on into a carve. And having, like, a ski that feels, you know, nimble-ish is pretty nice in that regard.
0: Yeah, and we should also say, I mean, if you're talking about, like, Kular skiing, mm-hmm. there, if you're literally hop-turning, yeah. you know, a full kind of 180 degrees... That's also not what we're talking about at the moment. Totally. Um, but anyway, okay. another another um, lesson on ski width for, uh, for anybody who needs to hear that. Another ski, we need to talk about a discontinued ski, the K2 Powabunga. <laughs> um, you told Mike McCabe and me that we both had to ski this while we were here. Mike did get on it i have avoided it so far um the shape looks fantastic the problem is i hand flexed it before skiing it and it is it's in the running for the softest ski i've ever flexed like in blisters 12 year history and that made me shy away a bit so um I don't know. Do you want to say any more about the K2 Powabunga?
1: Yeah. I'll, I can talk about that ski a lot. But I'll, but what I'll say for right now is is I, I had actually thought that I should have you ski it before you flex it. Yeah. Because everybody who flexes it first, including me, says the ski's not for me. Yeah. Um, especially all of us that are experienced skiers used to being on, you know, higher performance skis. Um, but- What I'll say is, is that, you know, we have a a guide staff of, I like to think like generally really good skiers and our guide staff have a ton of experience skiing in this type of, probably as much as anybody in the world skiing Mm -hmm. this type of terrain. And on any given day, when you see what the guides are carrying out of the hangar and throwing in the basket, most of them are, are on old pairs of K2 Powabungas that they're hanging on to and milking because everybody really likes, they're not perfect. Not everybody thinks they're the greatest thing ever. But by and by and large, even like everything from like guys that raced at a high level in mm. in college ski racing to, you know, less, less skilled, but like still good, good skiing guys. Everybody gravitates toward those skis out there. And um, they're just really intuitive. It's crazy. ski. It's super soft. It's one thirty six hundred foot. It has like, I think a minus four mount point, like nothing about this, like makes sense really.
0: Minus four?
1: Yeah. It's really far forward. Okay. And I believe that's what it is that they recommended and most of us put it right, put it about there. And, uh, it just works. It just works really well in almost any snow condition up here. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know exactly how all those com- ingredients go together, but, people really like them and we've got you know enough pairs left that we could make it through another season or two with what we have but um i would love to be able to put guests on a ski similar to that uh, but we just don't have them <laughs> they haven't made them in a long time
0: <laughs> so this then led to a conversation with mike mccabe from folsom who you did get on the ski and i mean mike and i were standing there when we first arrived at at cpg And we were both looking at it and um, I love like the tip shape of that ski. Like it looks great. Mike skied it. And then there's been conversations about initially the name was going to be, I think, maybe like the mega wrap, the mega rapture. But it's now I think Mike has settled on the rapture AK. (laughs) And has he told you enough about this for you to talk about it?
1: I mean, we've been talking about it nonstop since you guys got here and you know mike skied the pow bunga i'm really glad he did i i, I hope you get to ski at, at least a run or two at some point um in the week but um you know it's really soft and for bigger guys like mike and i the especially the snow that we skied in that day which was like the day he was on him it was a little bit upside down mm-hmm. it was really fun skiing for good skiers but it was like just the snow was just starting to get a little warm that like thigh deep <laughs> japan mm-hmm. snow yep Um, and so for, for bigger guys like Mike and I, we could like fold the shovels up a little bit, which isn't usually an issue with that ski. Um, usually planes up so nice that it doesn't really do that. But, um, you know, I think for him, he was like, this shape is pretty dialed, like you said, and the shape's not that different from the Rapture shape. It's a pretty like, pretty traditional shape ski. Um, but I think he's with well, his mind is definitely spinning on like the camber profile or the rocker profile, I should say, and, yep. the, and the flex that would make that ski um, really good. And the other thing I should say is, is that I have found Folsom skis to be very durable. I have beat the crap out of my raptures um, and some other Folsom's I've used. And those, um, I, I don't think this reflects K2's current construction at all. I think their current skis are, are, are good, very durable skis that are right up there in the industry. Uh, those Palabungas whatever they were doing at that time period, those skis are very fragile. Mm. Like they have sidewalls compress and break on those skis. And oftentimes that results in like the core failing. Mm. Um, it's just the nature of them. And, uh, and that, again, this is a ski that's like 10 years old. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think like a, a more durable, little bit more robust version of that ski could be pretty special. And I know Mike's, Mike's thinking about it
0: for yeah. sure. Basically doing a rapture. That's uh, it's just, a Full centimeter bumped out at yeah. all the dimensions, so 132 yep. underfoot and 158 in the shovel. Yep. Um, so
1: yeah, I'm really excited to try that. I was driving back with the other guy who's with us this week, Dan star who's yeah. an awesome guy. Dan's awesome. And uh, Dan was like, If he makes that ski, I'm just buying a pair. I don't care <laughs> if I can even get them for free. I don't care if I can get a pair for free. I'm buying
0: them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, okay, Dan, first pair is sold. Um, we might be, we might be in a cat tomorrow. You think it's look at We're getting snowing again right now, so
1: I don't think so. I think we'll probably either ski the hill or try to get a window for the heli. I think the cat skiing could be a little rugged tomorrow. Okay, honestly, it might be good. Uh, well, all we can check in, in the morning, but I,
0: think I feel better about getting on the powabunga on the cat if it's like we're in the heli. I I'm not yet. I'm like I really want to give up <laughs> my precious. My precious runs on the on the green been discontinued for a number of years, Powabunga. I don't know. One run. Okay, one run. Um, let's keep it moving. The DPS Lotus 124, um, you've been skiing. I mean, y- frankly, you've talked about how that DPS Lotus 124 in, I believe, a 191. Yep. That was your guide ski. Totally. For till I got the raptures, till you got the raptures, yeah, and so you're now skiing the current iteration of the Lotus 124. Compare, contrast, thoughts,
1: yeah. Last week, the week before you guys got here, I had um oh, a bunch of consecutive like really good, it was, it was sunny then, no, <laughs> sorry, um, but uh, I had a, had a bunch of consecutive days where I kind of skied the my old Lotus 124s, which now are, I think are. God, I want to say those skis are like 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. So I've had them for a while. Um, version that was like with the spoon tip, which in, in my opinion did nothing in that shape, maybe detracted from it. Um, with the newest iteration of the Lotus One Twenty Four, and the the biggest difference is the tip shape. And you, as soon as you walked in the hangar, yeah. you saw them leaning next to each other, and you immediately saw it. Yeah. And I think even people that aren't as tuned into ski shapes as you are. Would be able to pretty quickly tell that the new one has a very tapered tip that, or early taper tip that looks a lot more like the tip on like the RP112 that we've all seen from DPS. It yeah. has that similar shape where the taper comes way back closer to the boot, or I should say where the wide point comes back closer to the boot. Yeah. And um, I get what they're going for. They wanted to make it looser, driftier, which in, is a theory that exists with that type of shape. Um, to me, I feel like it didn't really gain anything, but it lost some of the stability and in in just like being able to tip them and go fast. Hmm. Um, I will take the old version. Personally, for me at my size and my tr- the terrain I'm in here, um, any day I could see maybe, I haven't put enough days on the new one yet. Like maybe if you're taking them to Japan or you're, you're in some more like tighter trees and you're doing more like slashy wiggles and kind of Mm -hmm. kind of turns versus like big open turns maybe that newer shape has some benefit um for me i really like that old tip shape and the only other thing i'll say is that in the era of my old pair the 185 and smaller had that very similar shape to the new one. The new,
0: the new one ninety one. Including
1: yes. my one eighty five centimeter tour ones, which are no longer made, except in certain years I do a Powderworks version. Um, that one eighty five I had is uh, is that similar, more tapered, more heavily tapered shape, which works well for me when I ski in with like thousand gram boots. It's like real mm-hmm. drifty and easy going. But with an alpine boot and alpine bindings, skiing fast on big faces, I would personally prefer that old tip shape mm-hmm.
0: for sure so maybe that's your personal suggestion to dps like go back to doing what you were previously doing which is go with that more heavily tapered tip on 185 centimeter models or that's shorter it. and keep the 191 with that bigger shovel
1: yeah, yeah. I think that at least the 191 and maybe uh, maybe the shorter versions with that shape too. Um, but Oh, he's going full. Just I don't keep know. The... That shape works really well. I think that's a really good shape that they had there. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's an interesting ski because it doesn't really have any tail rocker. It's a pretty flat tail. It's so camera underfoot. But um, the the way that tip worked, it, it allowed me anyway to kind of stay pretty forward on the ski, which allowed the tails to feel pretty loose and drifty despite being a flat tail ski essentially. Mm-hmm. The new one has some tail rocker, some kick in the tail. But, uh, and it does feel like a little driftier, but, um, again, doesn't seem like it has the same top end as the old one, Mm -hmm. same top end stability.
0: Mm -hmm. This is another thing that we've talked about for some years, the lighter the ski, the less need to do heavy tip taper on it Mm -hmm. because you're just bringing down like the, like it's already not, I mean, I guess these things are relative, but you know, DPS not known to be a ski company, putting out like skis on the heavier end of the spectrum as a generalization. So if you're, especially if you're getting into some of DPS's lighter constructions, even less need to get into really heavily tapered tip shapes. Yeah. Just as a design philosophy, that's one I kind of stand by. Interesting. Yeah
1: yeah and those aren't again those aren't particularly light skis either they're like 2100 grams i think both I light do. light on the Palski side for sure yeah yeah but no I, I think that's a reasonable thing to say um and i would say like like you said that sh- tip shape can work really well for a lot of people in certain situations but it's a shame that that old shape is gone hmm. if, if that's how they're going to go if that's how the new ones are going to roll hmm. so i think that was a pretty cool ski
0: Another thing I've always said is the wider the ski, the more I think tip taper can make sense. And my shining example of this sticking with DPS is the DPS Lotus 138. Such a weird looking ski <laughs> and I I still would put that ski like in a ski hall of fame. Um you and I haven't talked about the Lotus 138 for a while. And I was going to ask you about this today. And then I was like, I'm going to say this for the podcast, but that is a ski literally 138 underfoot. It does go to a pronounced tip taper. And I thought that ski, that ski to me is far more versatile than it looks. Um, And then, so first of all, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, or or to this question: How often are you on a Lotus One Thirty Eight anymore?
1: Oh, I still ski them sometimes, and you know I I want to be careful when I talk about that because the, when you say Lotus One Thirty Eight, there's been a lot of all, iterations, and they're yeah. all and many of them are very different yeah, from each other. Fair. And so, and I've skied, I personally have right now. Think I have four different <laughs> pairs of Lotus One Thirty Eights, and then I have a like couple pairs of spoons. Uh uh-huh. Um, but all four pairs I have are like very different from each other. The biggest difference is the shape changed a lot from to the, to, to the, the you know, they still run special editions of the current version mm-hmm. and, uh, they did it this year. I have a pair of that shape and that shape is very different than the predecessor shape that was, um, much more tapered, um, had less of a flat spot underfoot um and for me yes i agree with you that ski has like a ton of taper but that ski is is still in my mind is a reverse reverse ski mm-hmm. and i feel like the way the chip taper f- in powder works on that ski is different than on a ski like again like the rp 112 which is has a lot of side cut but also has a ton of early taper in the tip uh, i'm not a ski designer so i don't i'm not gonna i don't want to attribute too much to like what a characteristic brings to the table yeah. when you're actually skiing it but to me the very very heavily like you know basically full reverse shape of a 138 especially that older version the older shape that's key i agree with you that's key like as long as the snow is like kind of soft mm-hmm. the ski does pretty darn well mm-hmm. as long as you're not trying to like carve a turn on a groomer mm-hmm. um that ski does re- remarkably well i would i could ski much faster in variable conditions on that one thirty underfoot ski than I would on the one twelve underfoot ski. Yes, that has less taper. Yep. But I would also say that a ski with uh, even less taper than that, I would do even better in those conditions. And once I'm starting to get back into like traditional skiing style where I'm like tipping and, and carving, so I think there's like it's it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit with mm-hmm. that one thirty eight. I think that's kind of a special beast. Those one those full reverse skis. Um, I do still ski those skis, um, from the heli sometimes I've just been enjoying, I've been skiing a lot of carving, skinny skis in bounds, and bounds. I've been enjoying the feeling of like tipping the ski and carving lately. So I've been skiing them less cause those are more drifty skis. Um, but they are really fun and I do still take them out sometimes. I took out the, the big purple 138s like a week or two ago for a day.
0: The ones remember. that are in the hangar?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are actually Dan's, but, um, but I've got a pair of the same ones. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's fun ski. Um, it's not it, it if you know you're going to be skiing like pretty consistent pow or three dimensional snow, like more breakable stuff. They're really good. If you're worried, you're going to get into places where you're going to have like long stretches of like you know basically like windboard or like other like hard surfaces. Yeah, they start to become yeah. like more of a liability in yeah. those situations if you if you need to go fast and when when i especially this time of year when there's like heat ups and more winds snows that gets as we get later in the season you're more likely on any given run to encounter different snow types um i start to gravitate more toward the even if they're still really fat more traditional shapes um and like for example like the liberty genome yeah 142 foot, 141 yeah. foot, but much feels much more versatile like on hard snow like you could take that ski up and you could like carve visible tracks on a groomer with that ski.
0: Kingswood Kingswood SMB. Kingswood
1: SMB. Yep. Um those types of skis, the fatty pusses, um, even like the old like moment commie. Whereas like you're not gonna do that on the on the
0: 138. No, No, it is not (laughs) a good firm snow ski at all. It is a excellent soft snow ski of any kind of soft snow like spring mashed potatoes great Yep. like it you know um, deep pow great gluey snow there's maybe not a ski I'd rather be on like where you're just like cake batter Yep. but this then leads me to oh did you
1: say well it's a different I I ski them differently too like I ski those 138 those reverse reverse skis I'm almost always like pretty even 50-50 on both feet they don't do as well. I was looking at pictures um, that Charlie took of me skiing in some reverse camber reverse side cut skis the other day, and the body position is different, the weight distribution is different than when you're skiing on a side cut ski where you can just kind of like tip them and carve right on the and, edge. and, and yeah. angulate and counterbalance. Which you can do that in certain conditions on those 138. Sometimes you can have the craziest carves of your life in yeah. the right pal, but it's more condition-specific
0: to be able to carve the ski. Mm-hmm been dying to ask you this question what is your favorite current ski or not current maybe it's an old ski that isn't around any longer for breakable crust our very last run of the day today we caught a serious breakable crust Mm. like that's a that's a pretty like dictionary textbook definition I mean it was about a three inch breakable crust Ooh,
1: yeah it was breakable for sure three inch might have supported us but I hear what you're saying and that was a weird one I mean with it, and so for everyone out there you guys powder guys we don't take people down breakable crust runs
0: yes they do they did once
1: we, we occasionally it happens it does happen so that we I mean that it was, it was we,
0: we were just on our way out we
1: had to stage up because we didn't want to get the other group um, yeah, we wanted to get them out quickly. So we needed to like stage up at a halfway point back to our, back to our staging area anyway. But yeah, that was a weird one. Cause it was, the snow was so deep under it. Usually the breakable crust or wind crust and there's like not as much, like mm. it's not as deep underneath. Um,
0: I kept thinking of it as like creme brulee with yeah, like an overdone, exactly what it was with like, like an overdone top. That's
1: a good description. I don't really know. That what, was a creme brulee crust. Oh, see? You're welcome. That was a really good description. That's
0: I want to be credited this. with that when CPG starts talking about, should, oh shit, we're on a creme brulee crust. Run, creme brulee. Creme brulee. Um, so yeah. So wait, I don't know though. I don't need enough creme brulee. Is it? often it is often that hard top you 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 have to yeah, crack through it is. and get into the goo that's, just that's what we were on totally
1: yeah that was very that's a very apt description huh. um i mean honestly that um it depends on on like the terrain and how i want to ski so there's two strategies for skiing breakable crests, in my opinion and that's what i tell skiers like if we end up in a run where we're like you know it looks good and for some reason it's it's rough and i need to get people down a run there's two strategies one is And this works really well for more experienced skiers. You just tip the ski and you let it carve. And as long as the ski, as long as you're not like sinking the downhill edge of the downhill ski through the under the crust, if you can picture this when you're tipping it, that that edge is above the snow surface, you can just kind of carve and then you get kind of light and you transition as you get back into your carve and you basically just use the ski's ability to come across the fall line, provided it's big open terrain to slow you down and then you come into the next one you carve it across the fall line and you're just making big mm-hmm. super wide arcs and like you'll see a lot of our guides will do that when it's breakable crest like i can tell immediately if a, if one of my buddies is skiing breakable crest because they're doing these big arcs where their skis are coming fully across the fall mm-hmm. line so that's one strategy the like ski like the folsom rapture is awesome like that because it doesn't get in the variations in the crust. it doesn't get knocked around too much mm-hmm. it kind of pushes through it carves through like i i had there was a run we skied um last year and i had in the basket my raptures and then also the um wonder alpine reason 120 yeah full reverse camber and it was like just incredible powder skiing and then there was this weird like hundred foot band for whatever reason the winds blew it was like super good terrain steep powder skiing in the sun and then this hundred foot band part way down the mountain where like you had to negotiate a little bit of crust and uh the raptors it was like it was just like smashing through eggshells it was like nothing it was kind of fun i would just tip them a little harder and like the flakes would blast everywhere and when i skied it on the wonder alpines i had thought i was gonna crash like the tips folded back The you ski, know ski, i'm a big dude and i'm going really i'm going like 40 50 miles per hour So pushing that ski probably to its limits with the 30 pound backpack and that ski was like pushing around it was like doing weird things it was jacking sideways and, uh, and i got back in the raptors and i just railing through that stuff again so that's key a ski with like some integrity all the way through the shovels really helps mm-hmm. and then you need width underfoot to keep the, the mm-hmm. ski from going under the crust <laughs> um but the other strategy is to like basically like go sideways and let the ski kind of like just kind of stay above and just keep their edges free and just kind of slash back and forth
0: that wasn't going to happen on today that never
1: could happen today partly because it was not steep enough yeah um uh and partly because there was so much give under the crust you couldn't do that um but in those kind of conditions like honestly that that powabunga is pretty sweet the tips stay really loose and out of the snow yeah and, it, and the Powabunga does remarkably well on the carving strategy too. Hmm. Um, that's like, I've seen a, a lot of guides like do really well survival skiing on that ski. Um, there's something about that. Again, that shape and rocker profile is really forgiving in, the, in those kind of conditions.
0: I was thinking if I were to pick a single ski, I was still thinking about the Lotus 138, but you are less, so you, you ski more frequently so, than yeah, I do. The
1: 138 would be fine in that. Um, it's funny when I think when I, rip, when I think about how that would feel like I'm visualizing it right now. Um, it's funny like I have demo bindings on my most of my skis, and uh, the 138 at the place on the ski where I normally like it for going really charging hard in powder, it's a little tail heavy. It's still loose, but it's I go a little tail heavy, so I can push pretty hard into them, like really ski like on the balls of my foot, ankles flexed. In the breakable crust, I would want it, like, four a centimeter. <laughs> 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 <You know? laughs>
0: what about creme brulee crust?
1: I think that they would have been, like, I think in that crust today, like, it really wouldn't matter that yeah. much. Like, as long it, you know, having the tips stay up like I was on those G-wagons. Yeah. The, having the tips above the snow was helpful, but I don't think it made that much difference. Yeah.
0: And I was on the G-Wagons as well. Yeah. And the thing I found is that, yes, the tips were out of the snow, but it's such a straight section. It feels real straight on yeah. like... On the underfoot area like you're on a lunch tray kind of yep. and i was feeling that crust catching kind of the quote-unquote yeah. sharper edges of totally. the lunch this the, the, no. the rectangle or square I, yeah
1: i also think that and this the reason i don't ski the g-wagon as much is because it's not as to me you know it's a, it's pintail shape the tail mm-hmm. is pretty skinny relative to the tip mm-hmm. and um I think that the, for example, the Powell Bunga shape would have kept us, would have been easier to turn that stuff for sure. Because the tip, the, t- you know, tip flotation is awesome. And when you're skiing pow and you're just driving your shovels and being able to push the shovels through is great. But when you're in any kind of conditions where you want the tails to break free and be loose, I feel like in certain snow conditions, especially more difficult conditions, like a little bit of crust or some, something that's grabbing a little bit, a more traditional shape like that pow bunga, like the Rapture, um, that tail coming up a little bit more and carving a little bit better is helpful. And I think the I think you would have done better. I would have done better on pow bungas and that stuff hmm. um, for sure. And I I think that same liability of the um of in that stuff today that that same pintail shape of the of the G wagon would have been true for the 138 also. The 138 does well in crest when it's steep and you can throw them sideways. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't do as well when you're trying to carve through crest.
2: Yeah,
0: I was the only person that didn't fall down on that run. True, true. But it, that, was like, that was like, that's one of those by the grace of God, like I was just watching carnage on and, and I, we should say we you took us there to try to get the other group out quicker. Because there was, weather was yeah, coming in, I mean, you didn't want them stranded, so you weren't like, this run's going to be sick. No. It was like, we're just I was moving. debating
1: just staying at the top and getting picked up at the top, but I was like, well, we've got 15 minutes to kill, so why don't we just like, see if we can, see? and I was hoping that as we rolled over onto the slope that had more north aspect, the top was kind of reflecting south slightly, that we would roll into like, get away from the cross I thought the aspect might make a difference. And then mm-hmm. at that point, when I realized it wasn't, we were committed to going down to a place where we get picked up.
0: I now wish we had video of that run watching us all like fumble around because you were like, we just a a group of good skiers uh, and then we just could show this video and everyone would be like, no, dude. I mean,
1: I felt my, when I fell over, I was like standing still. I just got, I was, the light got really (laughs) flat. It got real flat. I just tipped tipped over because I didn't realize that the slope fell away a little bit on my side. Um, So yeah, that was a, that was not a highlight of my heli-ski season. (laughs) I don't, maybe it was the worst run of the season. Really? Could have been, yeah.
2: Okay. Probably we
0: was. cut the it's couple. Probably the
1: worst, worst run of the season. Yeah, that was the worst run of the season.
0: On a more positive <laughs> note, I want to go back to our first run of the day because I really was kind of, it really did it for me. I I realized like my thing is really good light mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't just like good visibility. It was gorgeous. It was yeah. just gorgeous when we got up top and then we like basically dropped into perfect pow. Yeah. So, give me- Beautiful light, perfect pow, and that, like, it wasn't super gnar terrain. We I weren't know. on something super steep, but pretty apparently, just give me really good light and good pow, and I'm I'm a pretty simple person, really.
1: Yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, that's what we do here. Uh, and that was a pretty pretty short, mellow run in, in the big spect- picture of things. Um, but we're getting just enough taste. Guess getting, a taste. <laughs> getting a taste. Getting a <laughs> taste.
0: <this, laughs> getting us addicted. Um, I think we leave it at that okay um i know we were going to talk about some boots punchline you really like the lang shadow it's a cool boot yeah we'll 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 save that for now but i it's a it's a higher volume boot than somebody with a true and serious low volume foot might click with um so i'm actually psyched because it doesn't quite work for me fit wise and so i was kind of psyched that you're like, dude, I'm loving this. And that's that's a boot you've been guiding. Totally.
1: And I will say that um, I've been guiding in the medium volume, the MV, and I've been skiing the LV at the ski hill. And the LV for me with my zip fits that I had in my RXs or RX heritages before that, it was plug and play. Like it seems like to me, it seems almost the same. I know it's slightly different, but it seems almost exactly the same as the old RX LV, the new Shadow LV. Okay. I've never skied an MV, so I'm not sure this compares to the MVs before.
0: Okay, but that's a good fit note. I guess we're talking about ski boots. Um, the If anybody has had good fit success with the Lang RX LV, yep. you are on record to say that this Lang Shadow LV has a very similar fit?
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I put the exact same liner into both the, you know, the, the liners, obviously are going to feel different. You stick your foot in, it, it's going to feel different because mm-hmm. the new liner is a total, total do over of the liner. But when I take the exact same liner, that zip fit that I've skied five or 600 days and I shove it into the new LV shadow, it feels exactly the same. Well,
0: not quite exactly, but it's really close. Okay. That's a good, that's a good note for people. That's like a bonus note for people. Yeah. We gave you a fit tip. Um, hey man, super fun. We got a few more days. Um, so grateful for that. And, uh, we're going to wrap up here. I think go do a team dinner and get your lovely wife, Aaron, and your son, Ren, maybe coming. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I get to meet Ren for the first time in person, not like on FaceTime video calls. So that's good. (laughs) I also proud moment for me. You've told me at least once or twice that he like asks about me. Totally. (laughs) So that's... (laughs) That's basically like that's that's a real like feather in my cap. I like that Ren's like, where's Jonathan? Yeah,
1: so so He's he asked me that one when I was down at uh, down at the summit, and he was like, "Is Jonathan there?" I, like, I don't even know Jonathan. <laughs> four, Four-year-olds say funny stuff.
0: Looking forward to meeting Ren. Um, yeah. Hey, it's always fun. It's great to be back in the mountains with you, and uh, pretty fun talking about gear with you too. So yeah,
1: this has been an awesome trip.
0: Yeah, it has, man. And so, thanks for making it an awesome trip.
1: I'm already looking forward to Blister CPG 2024.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of pressure here. (laughs) Um, We hope to make it happen. Um, Well, let's break and uh, I'll see you in a minute. Sounds good. All right, man. All right. Well, as promised, it is now time for our crashes and close calls segment where we like to tell some stories to remind people why we created this whole Blister Plus Spot program in the first place. The Blister Plus Spot program gives you all the perks of a standard blister membership, but you also get $25,000 of injury insurance, and that includes emergency transportation to get medical treatment. So, whether that's a heli evac, or whether that is an ambulance ride to the emergency room, your Blister Plus Spot membership has you covered up to $25,000 per incident. Now, in my intro, I told you about our good friend Riley, aka The Missile. I just met Riley on this trip. He's already one of my favorite people in the world. He's a really good skier, but dude just has a penchant for crashing into things, sometimes people, sometimes trees, uh, which we saw him do two days ago. We were cat skiing. He sent this cliff, stomped the landing, went into a victory formation, and then promptly exploded into a willow tree. Uh, destroyed the tree, ladies and gentlemen. It was kind of a savage looking act. Broke a ski pole in the process, but I think that was a silver lining because if that pole hadn't taken the brunt of the willow tree, uh, some portion of Riley's body would have, and uh, it wouldn't have turned out well for him. So there were some bumps and bruises, but for the most part, we're putting this in the close call bucket. But Riley, if you're listening, dude, this blister plus spot thing should just be renamed like Riley coverage uh, or missile coverage either one uh, but folks things happen when we're out skiing snowboarding mountain biking kayaking trail running etc and you should make sure you're covered and whether you don't have insurance or like most of us have a high deductible where you got to pay out thousands of dollars out of your pocket before your insurance kicks in well This Blister Plus Spot membership provides you with coverage that, well, if you're listening to this Gear 30 podcast, chances are you need this. So we will include a link in the show notes of this episode for our Blister Plus Spot membership. Sign up today. Your coverage will start immediately. And as we like to say, when you get wrecked, because it's just a matter of time, don't also get wrecked financially okay now it's time for our what we're celebrating segment and um this one's pretty straightforward uh i'm hanging out with my good friend paul forward here in girdwood alaska and i'm gonna wrap this up send this off to the strikingly handsome justin bob go grab dinner with a great group of people and um This is all real, real good stuff, folks. I wrote an open mic piece recently where I talked about this trip and I said, I didn't know if this was going to be an exercise in baseline appreciation or peak experience appreciation. But um, so far, this is feeling closer to the peak experience appreciation zone. So there's a whole lot to be grateful for right now. And a bunch of those reasons are actually waiting for me to go have dinner with them. So here is to being in big, cool mountains with really good people. Uh, something I will never, ever tire of. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Paul for the fantastic time so far and for another very fun Gear Talk episode here on Gear 30 with him. Thanks also to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. And if you are enjoying these conversations where we dork out hard about powder ski design, well, I don't really know where else in the world you get to hear this kind of stuff. So if you haven't yet... Please take a second to leave us a rating and or review wherever you get your podcasts. And that will just help us keep this whole thing going and growing. And um, we'll keep talking about all this gear stuff. All right, everybody. Take care. Time for dinner. Talk to you soon.